You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Unshakable Lives in Shaky Times. For more information, you can visit our website at creekside.org. Well, I want to invite you, if you would, take your Bibles and uh, turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 16. We're going we're gonna to take a week off, at least, from the Passion series, and I just wanted to speak a little bit to the situations going on. I received my Time magazine yesterday, and this is the cover, somebody with a mask on it, and it said, when the world stops, when the world stops, it really seems like it has in so many ways, it really has. You see on TVs all of these different places that are almost barren, lacking people. One of the basic questions that people are wrestling with right now concerning the the coronavirus, that it keeps changing by the hour, how are we going to live? What are the choices that are we going to make for our lives? Isn't it interesting that these times will ultimately define us, and if we allow them to, they're going to refine us? Are they going to define us by courage and fear? Are they going to refine our courage and fear? Are they going to define us with our peace or with our panic? Let's face it, the times are really uncertain. Uh, Life is filled, though, with unexpected times. I mean, who could have ever expected, even just a few weeks ago, that the COVID-19 pandemic would bring such unexpected times, unexpected experiences in our lives. I mean, we we don't know what today's going to hold. Tomorrow's going to hold. Six months from now, what it's going to hold. I don't know about you, but for most people, fear is kind of a natural default, as most naturally fear the unknown. Uh, Fear, we, we fear those things that we just cannot see. We can't get them. We can't put our hand on it. We can't grasp it. We can't come up with an answer or a solution. And, and we, when we lose a sense of control, fear looms larger. And soon we begin to find ourselves doing some really unusual things, don't we? I mean, just consider. I mean, the toilet paper has literally been flying off the shelves and water has been flying off the shelves. I, I don't know about you, but did I miss some news alert that said that we couldn't drink out of the faucet anymore. I'm just kind of wondering, all of these things are taking place. I was just told recently that there was a guy in Seattle who bought 17,000 units of hand sanitizer, and he was kind of price gouging them to a great degree. And so eBay and Amazon shut him down from selling it. So now you go over to his house, you could probably get a pretty good deal on it. Uh, He's got 17,000 units of hand sanitizer. For many, our, our world is really turned upside down. These are times that we feel incredibly pressed, like we're just in this full court press, the circumstances in our families and and everything in our jobs and everything taking place. I have to admit, I've, I've been in situations and circumstances where I just feel like I'm in a full court press and I'm wondering which way am I going to go? Which way am I going to move? How am I going to get out of it? I've been in situations where I've been, you know, pretty afraid. 
I mean, think of us. We've experienced Y2K. What happened when that came at the turn of the year 2000? Everybody thought that the, the technology was going to shut down. The computers were, were going to die. The banks were going to close. We wouldn't be able to access our money. Planes could literally fall out of the sky because of computer systems. And it was interesting because a lot of people of faith also experienced a great deal of fear. But we got through it, didn't we? And then you go to 9-11. I remember waking up on that Tuesday morning when everything was, was, was in chaos and nobody knew what was happening. And pretty soon planes just started to hit other buildings. Our, our nation was literally paralyzed by fear. People thought, man, this must be the end. This must be the end times. Uh, but isn't it interesting that we were able to be let out of that and our nation recovered. And sometimes we forget, too, that even people our age have been through a global pandemic. In the 2000s, there was the H1N1. We overcame it, but there was literally thousands of people died, and it was a pandemic worldwide where literally hundreds of thousands contracted that virus. And it was a defining moment for the world. So today now we're facing this pandemic. Isn't it interesting that um, I, I get to be on both sides of this? I think I'm in the born in the wrong time of history because back in the 2000s, they say that the pandemic, that the H1N1 was most uh, likely to be contracted by those under 60. And now uh, this pandemic, the coronavirus one, is most likely to affect the most vulnerable people over 60. I was sitting on the couch the other day with Trina, and as like most of you, we were watching the news, and they were given the list of six things that make people most vulnerable. And she turns to me and she goes, Wow, you are two and five sixths of the vulnerability checklist there. And I go, Thanks, dear, I appreciate that. I'm five sixths, five sixths because I'm not quite 65 yet. But isn't it interesting, this pandemic? We don't understand it. We don't know much about it. They're try to, still trying to figure out. And before long, if we're not careful, loved ones, this is what can happen. We'll begin to imagine worst case scenarios. Have you ever done that when your fears come in? Like a washing machine. You begin to turn things over in your mind. And where does that take you? Probably nowhere good. Is there a better plan? Is there a better way? I, I think so. Consider when you go that way and fears begin to cloud your ability to see clearly. Do you tend to make better decisions or worse decisions when you're fearful? <laughs> I mean, really, do you think you're going to need a lot more toilet paper in the season ahead? In the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, for however long this lasts? I don't think so. It's interesting that the Bible says that faith is also believing what you cannot see. We can't see the virus. We can't get a grip on it. We don't see it, and we're so fearful. But it's interesting. The corollary is the Bible says that faith is also believing what you don't see. The writer of Hebrews says the substance, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Did you know that the most repeated command God gives humans in the Bible defines, and he says this, he says, fear not, do not be afraid. 
Don't be fearful. The first words in the Bible by the angelic beings, beings when they spoke was, do not be afraid. Some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples post-resurrection in the upper room were, do not be afraid. And here's the thing, as we move into this, as we move through this pandemic, how we believe, if we believe wrong, we'll begin to live wrong. If the whole focus of our life is fear, uh, we're going to live that out in everything that we do. I got the following from a pastor that I want to read to you. Um, It really kind of creeps me out because if there's one thing in my life that I just don't care for, it's snakes. But this is from the U.S. government Peace Corps manual for its volunteers who work in the Amazon jungle. It's what to do if you are attacked by an anaconda snake. It's the largest snake in the world. They average about 17 feet. Uh, They believe some have gotten up to 35 feet long. And they're able to swallow and digest whole large animals. So this is what the manual reads. If you're attacked by an anaconda, don't run. The snake is faster than you. Lie flat on the ground, put your arms tight against your sides and your legs tight against one another. Tuck your chin. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? The snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. Don't panic. Really? Don't panic? After the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet end. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. The snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. Just lie perfectly still because this will take a long time. When the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and, with a, and, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its, of, of its mouth and your leg. And then suddenly rip upwards, severing its head. Oh, and don't forget, be sure to have your knife with you. <laughs> Can you believe that? That is not going to happen to me. Friends, that, it's, it's so natural when in these unknown circumstances to be afraid. And I don't know about you, but it's here where we can begin to make the worst decisions of our lives out of fear. Because what do we most likely do? Well, we run in panic. We run to get. We run to do in our panic when probably what we need to do is to simply stay still. Stand firm. Because fear and panic almost always make matters worse, loom larger than what they really are. And so I think what the scripture would say to you today is stand fast. That's what Ephesians 6 says. Stand fast. Stand firm in the Lord. Jesus, or God spoke to the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus, and he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Today I want to read a a story from the scriptures that I think speaks to kind of where we are in a different way. And it's Acts chapter 16. I want to pick it up 
in verse 22. It's the story of Paul and Silas, and they're out preaching the gospel, and they're trying to reach people for Jesus. And all of a sudden, they come under attack. It says in verse 22, it says, Then the mob joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes, and they ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. Well, it's about midnight, and Paul and Silas, they were praying and they're singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately all of the doors were open. Man, isn't that really true? Don't you kind of feel like in so many ways that the, the foundation of our lives, of our nation, and our world are just really being shook? But it says, the doors were open, everyone's chains came loose, and when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword, and he was going to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He knew that he was going to die if they escaped, if they would have left, it would have been his life that would have been killed as well. Listen to this, but Paul called out in a loud voice, hey, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. And then the jailer called for the lights and he rushed in and he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and he said, sirs, well, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to enter into this relationship that you're singing and you're praying and you're talking about? Well, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. And when they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in the house, he took them the same hour of the night. He washed their wounds and right away he and his family were baptized. He brought them into his house. He set a meal before them and he rejoiced because he had believed in God with his entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrates sent to the police and they said, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul, and he said, the magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial, and although we are Roman citizens, they threw us in jail, and now they're going to smuggle us out secretly? No way, certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. So we see here in this story, Paul and Silas, they're beaten down and they're placed in lockdown. This great crowd comes and they challenge Paul and Silas. No doubt this would have been a really scary, difficult, fearful time for this. Imagine being surrounded by a mob of angry people. And it isn't long before these angry people have wooden rods and they begin to beat them down. And then soon they're placed in prison and they're placed in stocks to, to, to stop their mobility, to cause them to, sometimes they, they would spread them out so they would actually experience cramps while they're sitting there. How are people, how were they able to ever put up with this? 
I think Paul and Silas, as we read the history of their lives, they're incredible examples of guys, of men who love and they trust Jesus in every area of their life, whether they're facing beatings, imprisonment, persecution, hard times, difficult times, tough times, whatever's taking place. Now, I understand that obviously we're not being persecuted or beaten in our situation today. But I do believe, and I've talked to a, I've been talking to a number of people, a lot of Creeksiders, and I think many feel like they're beat down by the emotions of everything that's going on. It seems like every day the news gets just a little more difficult to take in. People are being beaten down with the up and downness of their emotions, with the economic news that we're hearing and that's taking place. People are losing work. People are being laid off from work. People are having to lay off people that they love and they care for them and their families. I I would say that we're kind of somewhat imprisoned ourselves, aren't we? That's kind of taking place in our community, in our world. I mean, we're in a lockdown and we almost feel like we can't escape. So what do Paul and Silas do in the midst of their lockdown, in the midst of everything takes place. Well, you'll see there in verses 25 and 26 that they enter into this praise and this worship session. <laughs> Imagine that. They're in prison. They just had the, 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 the stuffings beat out of them, and they're beginning to praise and to worship. How do people do that when they're stretched to the hill, locked up? They've got physical issues that they're dealing with. And in the wee hours of a dark night, they begin to sing songs and they begin to worship. See, I believe that they can do this because they know this truth, that Jesus never changes. Hebrews 13 says this, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Why? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But, but some of you might say, well, you know, PTU, you, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the dark times that I feel like I'm trapped and locked into. I don't feel like there's no way out. You're absolutely right. I, I don't know what you're facing or the difficulties or the situations that you're in. But I know God knows. And just like Jesus was with them, he's with you today. And notice what it says, and they were praising. They were thanking God. Literally, praise has to do with thanking God for what he's done. Imagine that in the midst of a beating and imprisonment, they're just praising and thanking God for what he's done. And here's what I begin to see from their life, that this praise comes from within, and it has little to do with what's happening outside of your life. Paul later tells This people from Philippi, this church was started from this incident. In Philippians chapter four, verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. I think what Paul's saying is our praise, our worship, our thankfulness, our gratefulness has little to do with what we're going through, but it has everything to do with who we trust in, who we believe in. And this praise and this gratefulness and this thankfulness for what he's experiencing, it it isn't some kind of sadistic thing that says, God, thank you that I'm just getting beat up. God, thank you that we're seeing this pandemic because I know you're going to do great things through it. We just simply say, God, thank you that you're with me in the midst of this. 
because we serve this gracious Lord. He, he doesn't take Paul around the prison. He doesn't build a bridge over the prison. He doesn't dig a tunnel under the prison. Uh, but Jesus is with them and leads them through their prison and their shaking experience. I love that it's noted in their praise and worship that it was heard and it was noted by other prisoners. The idea of the word listening has to do with to listen with pleasure, almost as if it's beautiful music. Now, I've studied a lot about Paul, but I've never really seen him or thought of him as being some kind of great singer. But it says here that as him and Silas are singing in this prison, that it was like beautiful music to these other prisoners. And, and hear me, friends, I think this is so important. It's in these times of crisis that our voices should be singing out with tunes of hope, tunes of comfort, tunes of peace that speak to and minister and bespeak of the trust that we have in Jesus around us. I mean, there's something that's so calming and stabilizing when you live this kind of praise and worship and gratitude out day by day so that when the desperate time comes, it doesn't feel like it's this kind of foxhole response, uh, but it really comes and it brings stability in these kind of shaky times. We see in this passage, you know what I believe? I believe that prisoners seldom listen to people who are praising on the outside. A prisoner is going to listen to another prisoner. They're most likely to listen. They're most likely to hear when we worship through our pain and our questions in these difficult seasons and confining times. That's when our faith becomes most validated and it is seen as most real to the people around us. Our worship should be the same in the prison, in the lockdown, in the difficulty that we're experiencing as it is in the pew, as it is on the platform, as it is in our personal times. Because that not only will bring release to your life and to my life, but it also helps to bring release to the prisoners around me. We also, we worship at midnight. It's in our darkest hours. We don't have very much sight. We have very little vision. These times don't make sense. Some of us now are even questioning our future. What kind of a future am I going to have? Well, God says, I've got a future and I've got a plan for you. And we worship because we have a hope and a future in Jesus Christ. Remember that. Here's what I would say is act like it, live like it, sing out like it. Don't allow these difficult times to miss the moments with deity that you can experience. If you want to deal with your fears, if you want to deal with your depression, if you want to deal with any of the heaviness that you're feeling right now, and I'm not trying to give you some kind of a Pollyanna kind of process for this, but I do come and I do believe God's word is, word is clear. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 61.3, that we can give beauty for ashes when we're burned out, when we're tired. Jesus says, I want to come and I want to give beauty to your life. And then he says this, I want you to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, depression. What's a garment? Well, we know what a garment is. It's something that we put on, something that we can take off. And Isaiah is making this statement. He says, when there's heaviness that comes, when there's depression that looms, when there's doubts that kind of encroach upon your life, 
He says, I want you to put on the garment of praise, of gratitude, of worship to Jesus. I mean, don't you just love it when we're sitting here? I mean, even though most of you are in your living room, maybe you're in bed in your pajamas, I don't know. But you get to hear and watch and listen and sing along to the praise of Jake and Aaron. Many of us tuned in last Thursday night as they had kind of a worship and a prayer time. Didn't you just kind of feel your burden lifted? See, that's the idea of putting on the garment of praise, the garment of worship. I just love that Paul says this. And then he talks about in verses 27 to 31, the message that we carry. Many ask, why is this happening? And so often, uh, excuse me, but a lot of religious spiritual people want to say, well, I've got the answer for this. This is why, and this is why. Can I tell you, we don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Here's what I do know. That our lives and all that we go through and all the experiences that we have are about Jesus and making him known. If you're a Christ follower, that is our calling, regardless of what happens. The earth shakes, the jail opens, the jailer wakes up and he goes in expecting to see these prisoners gone. Wouldn't you be gone? He draws his sword. He's going to kill himself because he knows that death is inevitable for him. And Paul fearlessly, calmly stands up and he says with a loud voice, do yourself no harm. We are all here. That's what we need today is calm people that says, don't worry. Jesus is here. I just love that. Paul says, I'm here. We're all here. And then he begins to minister to this jailer and this family. And you say, well, yeah, that'd be really easy with all of this stuff taking place. But the message of our lives, loved ones, is greatest when God is shaking things up. And then as we go through it with others, our calling is simply to show them Jesus and the power that he brings to our life and through our life. I love this, that this jailer and his family, they believed in Jesus and they were baptized. Paul's message is pretty simple. is that God can always use a life that is fully surrendered to him and trusts in him to reach others. And then you see the last part of this. You see this care and compassion that we can bring to the situation. Paul puts a spiritual leadership clinic on here. After they receive Jesus, he goes and baptizes them somewhere. And so the next thing they do, it's still in the middle of the night, early morning. And it says that the jailer brought him over to his home with his family. And they celebrated and made him some kind of egg McMuffin or something because he's still under house arrest. And they're waiting for the magistrates to come and to pick them up. And all of a sudden, they show up at the jailer's door, and they say, hey, let him go. So the jailer goes in and says, hey, you guys are free to go. But Paul does this interesting thing. He says, we're not going. You send him in to talk to me because we're Roman citizens. And as those magistrates come in to talk to him, Paul says, you know something? What you did was illegal, and you know it. We're in charge now. 
We're Roman citizens. You shouldn't have beaten us and you shouldn't have imprisoned us without due process. I, I find it interesting that from the beginning, Paul could have flashed his Roman credentials, but he doesn't. And I wonder if it isn't because he sensed that God was up to doing something significant in his life and through his life. I, I think he understands that if he would have gone out a back door, that the people that would have been left behind, they probably would have been persecuted more. And he's basically standing up and saying, I'm going to stay here. I'm not only going to take care of me and Silas, but I'm going to take care of the people around me. I, I, I kind of think, loved ones, that, that that's what God is up to in the church today. I'm talking about Creekside, but I'm talking about the church worldwide. How did Paul, how was he able to stay so calm? I think it's because he prepared himself. He was always ready. Because he was a man of prayer, a man of worship, a man of the word. And, and I want to I challenge us because I think that God has set us here for such a time as this. Because when we come to times like this, we see a lot of craziness. We see people who, you know, they buy 17,000 containers of hand sanitizer so they can gouge people. The guy literally said, I just wanted to make a large amount of money for my future. So I'm going to do it at the expense of people that are going through some really difficult times. Can you believe that? But that's what happens in time like this. There's a lot of negative things that can come out. But I'm convinced that it's the church that needs to speak calmly, peacefully, passionately, and purposefully into this season. Because see, when the pressure is on, things happen. And that's where we begin to get squeezed as individuals, as families, and as churches. And that's when we find out what's really in us. What do we really believe? None of us like challenges. None of us like these difficult times. But they are a proving ground that begin to refine us in what God is doing in us and through us. I was emailing yesterday with a mom and just asking how she's doing and what's going on in her life right now. And uh, she was just telling me, she goes, you know, everything is good. You know, God's blessing me, taking care of me. My job is good. She says, yeah, but one thing, one funny thing is that uh, she has her, her son, I believe he's eight or nine years old, and he started having a cough and ended up having croup. And she said to him, how you doing? And he goes, I'm going to die. I'm going to die because he'd been watching the news. And so she said, well, we don't watch the news anymore. Isn't it true that moms, when you go through really difficult times, you see something going on with your kids, something that's happened to them, and the first thing you want to do is go, oh my goodness, and you want to panic, and you want to go just stinking crazy, but because you don't want your child to panic, you stay calm, cool, collected. And I think that's what God's saying to us as well. Apostle Paul said to a young leader named Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, a spirit of holding back, a spirit of freaking out, but a spirit of power to be able to act, a spirit of love to be able to reach out to people, and of self-discipline to be able to do things that maybe others can't. 
I want to be like Paul. I want our church. I want us to do what Paul did. And Jesus calls us to do as a church. That we would be people who bring peace and prayer and not panic to situations. I have this, I, I want to help our seniors of Creekside. I sent out an email yesterday and I couldn't believe the responses that I've already received from all the, received from all the people that said, we want to help. Just tell us when, who, and how, and what, and we will do it. I'm thinking, man, only God. It's kind of like Paul. We, I don't care about my life. I just care about serving and making Jesus known. I want us as a church to make sure that we bring generosity, not greed, not hoarding, but we bring help to our community and the people around us in a wise and safe way when those opportunities afford ourselves. That while we are hunkered down, while we do and we live out the mandate that we're called to do, that we don't miss opportunities and we become helpers not hoarders. Trina told me that she was driving home the other day and she drove by somebody's garage and she says it was open and she was shocked because they had toilet paper in the whole garage from floor to ceiling. Probably somebody else trying to make a nickel or two. We went out walking yesterday and this is what I saw. We were, as we were walking, we saw this house that in, outside of it, they had this stand and they had toilet paper out in packages for free. See, I, I think that that should be the distinctive of the church of Jesus Christ today. That we kind of go with not grabbing and trying to take everything and elbowing everybody out and making sure we get there first. Uh, but we're the ones, yes, take care of your family, but we're the ones that live and move with open hands and we're generous. I believe this Friday, talking to one of our people in our church that works at the county hospital, we're going to provide a meal for them this coming Friday night. I'm looking. We're open. We want to be able to minister and to say to our community, we're here with you, we are here for you, and we are here to be a blessing to you. Trust in the one that we trust in. Maybe today you're lonely, maybe you're alone. I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to find a way to connect. Go to our website, creekside.org, and uh, just go to the place where you can uh, communicate and contact us, and we'll call you. We'll just, you need to be connected. See, you're not lonely because that's a bad thing. You're lonely because you're a human, and God made us for connection and for community. And I encourage everybody to be texting, to be emailing, to be calling people. Stay connected with the people around you. And Creekside wants to help you with that. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at some opportunities to develop small groups to be able to reach out and to be able to engage people. Don't, you were not created to do life alone. And living alone or being lonely, it doesn't make you weak. It simply makes you human. And Creeksiders, for those of you that are part of this church, I want to say to you, you, we were made for this moment.
And we want to be able to serve and minister and love and bless our community in whatever wise and safe way that we can. Let's be committed to that. When everything is shaking around us, when everything seems to be exploding above us, let's come with peace, not panic. Let's be praying. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus. You never crossed the line of faith. I, I want to encourage you that today, maybe you'd make that decision, that you could begin to experience the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension, all understanding. And then we as a community would love to connect with you. Just go to our website and you can find a place there where you can let us know that you made that decision today. And we would love, we would be privileged to be able to follow up. If you're out there and you need some kind of help, let us know. And we'll do whatever we can within reason. But we believe Jesus has put us here for this time. And if you want to make that decision today to follow Jesus, all you need to do is say, Jesus, I choose today. I make a decision today to follow you. Don't understand all of it, but today I choose to do that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have given us your son. We're so thankful that you have brought him into our lives and that we can sing and we can praise and we can worship in the midst of some of the most unknown difficult situations that most of us have ever faced in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people who are consistently and constantly, not some kind of Pollyanna statements, but Lord, that we are speaking the promises of God, that you're with us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us that you're going to lead us through this. And so when we can come back, we can step back, take a deep breath, and use this downtime to spend more quality time with our family, to re-engage our families in Jesus' name. So Lord, we thank you. I pray for peace over our people, this community, this church, our world. We believe for this now in Jesus' strong name. Amen.